0: A week ago, uh, we were in church and uh, with a lot of other churches, but there was one in Texas that experienced something that um, is unimaginable. And um, there are a lot of stories that are coming out of that, and uh, there are two that kind of captured my attention. Um, One, was the fact that the senior pastor and his wife were at a conference and traveling back. They weren't even there. But they lost their 14-year-old daughter. That one hit me. I don't know. (laughs) You know, that one just kind of hit me. The the other story uh, that I heard is there was a couple that had just moved from, I think it was New Jersey. They were visiting for the first time. And, I, you know, I, there's no way to make sense of it. It's, it's, a, it's an evil that we can't possibly wrap our minds around. And yet I know that they are holding services today, which shows an incredible amount of courage. And uh, I think that it would be very appropriate for us to offer our prayers for them. So would you join me in that? God... We often say how thankful we are to be able to worship publicly uh, in this place and to gather together as a body of believers. And we recognize that um, with every freedom, there are also a certain amount of risks that sometimes we, we don't think about. And, and I just pray, God, um, for all of us to hold on a little more tightly to one another today. And at the same time we are thinking about ourselves, our thoughts turn to the people of that small church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, who are worshiping right now, trying to put things in order, to try to put things in the right place, to try to put their hearts in the right posture, Through all of this, and my prayer, God, is that you would bring them comfort in ways that human beings cannot. And as a as a a body, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we lift them to you as much as we are able and ask you to do some type of work there. To redeem it, to restore it, to refresh it, to renew it, to make it count for something. Because only you can do that. And we recognize that. Lord, I pray for protection and safety for all of the bodies of Christ throughout the United States and over the whole planet today. That your spirit, that your angels would protect us and that we would truly Truly know the presence of the Spirit among us all. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. Okay, Waking the Dead. This is the uh, last installment of our series. Uh, Next week, I'm going to be picking up um, something a little bit different. We're going to talk about uh, what it means to practice, what it means to practice spirituality. And um, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, today we are um, finishing up our exploration of this truly bizarre scene in Ezekiel chapter 37. This vision that God gave uh, his prophet Ezekiel um, in a valley of dry bones. And we've been trying to pick that apart, trying to make sure that we understand it in its cultural context so that we can actually learn something for, our, for ourselves today today. What did it mean to them helps, helps us understand what it can mean for us um, today in, in our environment. And uh, I think there's a lot of meaning for ancient Israel, and therefore I think there's a lot of meaning for us too. So I'm going to read, I'm going to start by reading that. If you have a Bible, Ezekiel 37, we're going to read the whole scene here, which is um, verses 1 through 14. So if you'd like to follow along with me, we'll do that. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, "O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. (coughs) Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain. That they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, uh, that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it now. This is a very powerful passage when you take it in the full, and we've picked it apart, and now we're going to try to put it back together, because there are some things in here that are repeated over and over again, some some truly powerful things. Uh, Last week, we talked about this word life, uh, chaya, chaya. No, it's not credit class, right? It's this idea of life, this Hebrew word life and life is mentioned over and over again but there's another word that's uh, attached to this idea of life that we see repeated throughout the text and it is the word breath and we want to talk about breath because this this is a fascinating word this word is threaded throughout all of the old testament and it has tons and tons of meaning and i want you to see where we find it first of all we see it in verse 5 I will make breath enter you. Verse 6, I put breath in you. Verse 8, but there was no breath. Verse 9, come, O breath. And verse 10, and breath entered. So, you see the repetition. This word happens over and over again. Now, the word here, breath, is a Hebrew word. It's ruach. Let me hear you say ruach. ruach. Nice, nice, ruach. So we see this word that's repeated over and over again, and in the Hebrew text, it's this word ruach. But wait, there's more. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the text. There's more. I want you to see what it says in verse 14. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Now, okay, there's the word life again, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it. However, the word spirit, Spirit here is the word ruach. Isn't that interesting? I will put my breath in you. I will put my spirit in you. And it's the same Hebrew word, ruach. Now, I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine two cavemen, okay? Can I have my picture of my cavemen? Yes, there they are. (laughs) We're gonna give them names. The man on the left is Ugg, and the man on the, on the right is Kevin. It's my illustration, right? <laughs> so, Ugg and Kevin are out uh, doing the hunting and gathering thing. Uh, obviously, they've got something there. I don't really know what that is, but it's some kind of skull of some creature. But they're out hunting, and they're gathering, and as they're going by a kind of a rocky outcropping, a group of boulders comes down, and it strikes Ugg on the head, and he's laying Prone on the ground, and Kevin's wondering what t- to do. So what does Kevin do as he's watching him? He's waiting, he's trying to see what's happening, and so out of his loincloth, he pulls out a small mirror. It's my illustration, <laughs> okay? And he takes the mirror, and he puts the mirror up to Ugg's nose, and as he's waiting, he doesn't see the mirror begin to mist over. Why? Because there's no breath. Ugh has passed on. Isn't it interesting that in almost every ancient culture, there has been a connection between breath and spirit, something that has to do with life. We see this in almost every ancient language. Things like Ugaritic, Akkadian, all of the antecedent languages to Hebrew. And we even find it in Greek. The word pneuma means spirit, and it means breath, means both things. So ancient human beings understood that there is a connection between breath and spirit, or what we might call like this life animating force that makes any sense there's a connection here between those two these ancient peoples and here's something i want you to to notice in genesis chapter one in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the ruach of god was hovering over the waters the spirit, the breath of God, was hovering. There is a connection between breath and spirit, between breathing and life, between this life-animating force. This is the same word that God uses to describe his spirit. When we stop breathing, there is no life. There is no spirit. Breath is evidence of spirit, of this animating force. We understand this from our our simple and rather silly illustration. But it underscores, at least in my mind, (laughs) how God himself is the source of that life. Now, we can take all of the chemistry, and we can take even some of the biology, and we can put all of those things together, but we can't necessarily put life into it. It's something that truly only comes from God. Chaya is from ruach. Life is from breath and spirit. And it's something that I think that we ought to meditate on a little bit. And the question that I often ask is, we talk about this with human beings and we understand that, but can organizations like churches actually have life and spirit? Can they? I think that they can. But then the question is, what's the evidence of it? And that's a sermon for another day, by the way. So we have this, this notion of breath and spirit that's going on, but there's this structure to this whole passage. And first we get this little introduction, but then we get three times it says, "And he said to me. And so God is directing the prophet to prophesy. And he said to me, and he said to me, and he said to me. So we see it first in uh, chapter four, uh, sorry, chapter 37, verses four through eight. We see it again in 9 through 10, and then we see it again in 11 through 14. And I want to spend some time in 11 through 14, because this is the last little bit that we're we're going to cover. And I want you to keep in mind something very important historically, that Ezekiel is saying these words um, that God has given him um, against this backdrop of life and breath, okay? Okay? Keep that in mind as we're going through this. This is very important as we move along. So, verse 11, here it is. Then he said to me, that begins this next cycle, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. This is a metaphor. This is uh, an illustration. This is something I want you to see. They say, this: the people of Israel are saying, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Remember when we talked about this opening scene in verses one through three, that it is a hopeless situation. These, these dry bones is hopeless. If you're a Jew reading about this, a horrible set of circumstances, and, and God is using that and saying, this is what they're saying. This is what Israel is saying. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. It's hopeless. It's an important peace, God acknowledges what's going on here, the hopelessness of his people, but then look in in 12. Next next verse. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And we've moved from hopelessness to You have a group of people who have been carried off. They are hopeless. And yet, remember, prophecy is about future events that God is going to do something. And so there's hope here. I'm going to bring you out of this. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And this vision, historically, keep in mind that Israel had been overrun by, does anybody know? Babylon. Some of you have heard me say this before. In the ancient world, Babylon would be equivalent to the Star Trek Borg. Resistance is futile and you shall be assimilated. And they were the military juggernaut of the time. Absolutely unstoppable. And so Israel is completely overrun by them. They are carried into exile. The temple, which is the seat of all religious power, has been completely destroyed. Now, understand what that means. In ancient times, if the temple is destroyed by one party over another, what that's saying is not only is my army better than yours, my God is more powerful than you. Understand that that's what's going on here. And so here you've got those people who are completely hopeless because they have been carried off, the temple is destroyed, their paradigm of Yahweh being the most powerful God has been completely undermined at this point. You want to talk about hopeless. And then God makes this amazing declaration, verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. You see that. He's trying to give them some hope in all of this, then you will know. Here's the thing that we have to remember for all of us. You know, we can look at the ancient, you know, his, his, history of all of this, the historicity of it, but really what we can, we can glean for ourselves is the fact that God uses everyday kinds of events in order to show us some things. Now, they can be extraordinary, like, you know, having your entire country run over. That's true. But there's other places, too, God uses things big and small to remind us of who he is and what he's capable of every single time. God um, is, is, is showing us those things. Uh, many years ago, um, my, one of my daughters was sick with fever. And um, I was self-employed at the time. didn't have a whole lot of money. certainly didn't have any insurance. And uh, I remember... Uh, Lisa and I being in her bedroom with this, you know, fussy little girl, was burning up with fever, and just saying, "God, either heal her or provide the money, because, I mean, this this isn't this isn't good." And so the next day, we we took her to the doctor, and I still do not have any money, <laughs> and God hadn't healed her yet because she was still fussy and she was still warm. And I remember the doctor, the pediatrician that we went to, happened to attend the church that we attended. And he came in and he figured out what was wrong with her and and uh, said, here's what she needs, wrote us a script. And he looked at me and he says, you're working on your own right now, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. He said, okay. And he just left. And uh, we're like, okay, let's go check out. And the nurse came back in, gave us the script and, and, and uh, um, said, okay, you can check out at the front desk. And so we went up to the front desk and handed this slip to her. And she goes, okay, have a nice day. What? How much do I owe She goes, Doc took care of it. Big things and small things. I expected one or the other, and God provided a third way, which I think is kind of funny. But the point is, there are big things and small things that happen in our lives that seem precarious, that seem hopeless, that seem a little off, and yet God uses those to remind us of who he is and what he's capable of. Right? And I'm sure you have got your own stories like that as well. Israel prayed. They went to the temple and they worshipped. And they enjoyed feasts and they, f- and they enjoyed festivals. And they lived their days. And yet they forgot who God is and what he's capable of. And here's the point, though. Here's the point that we need to make. So do we. We go to church. We believe in God. In fact, we might even have all the right theology, and we forget who God is and what he's capable of. Hmm. God keeps calling us back to himself over and over again, asking asking us in some way, shape, or form, what's important to you? Who are you following? And by the way, everybody follows something. Everybody does. Well, I'm a rebel. Yep, you're following rebellion. And you're not the first. Right? I'm an iconoclast. Yep, there's a whole bunch of those too. The point is that everybody follows something. And when we see verses like this, God is kind of gently poking us going, yeah, who are you following? If you're going to follow something, you might as well be intentional about that. Verse 13, then you will know that I am the Lord. So remember this, go back. Next slide. Here it is. Uh, uh, let's see, go back to the black line. The, yep, there it is. God's agenda is our relationship with him. Ultimately speaking, we can talk about God's activity and we can talk about, you know, hopelessness and God's, uh, our hopelessness of God's opportunity, but God's agenda is always our relationship to him because that has to deal with the kingdom of God, Remember? So God's agenda is our relationship to him. He wants us to be in relationship. Do we understand that? Do we grasp the implications of what that means? What that actually means? So the creator and sustainer of the universe, right, wants a relationship with you. That ought to get us to go, wait, what? Because we forget what that really means. This is God himself. He wants to be connected to us. Even today, he continues to call us back to relationship. And this is one of the reasons why, again, we're doing this 60-60 experiment. Every 60 minutes, that alarm going off and reminding you the fact that God is right there with you, interrupting the busyness of your day with the presence of God. That reminds us over and over again that God wants to be connected to us. Sometimes I think, we spend time um, trying to get God's attention about certain things. The thing is, we have God's attention. I don't think that God has our attention. Unless, you know, it kind of hits the fan and we're like, ooh, what happens, right? Keep that in mind. The sustainer and creator of the universe is interested in you. And his agenda is always our relationship back to him in some way. Verse 14, love this. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will put my breath in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Hmm, yeah. In light of all that we've learned, this verse, to me, is a resting It just captures my attention. So if I might be able to put it kind of in my own words, the Jewish practice of Targum, this is my prayer. It goes like this, Lord, put your spirit in us that we may thrive and settle us in the place where we can do the most good. That's my prayer for us as a church. It's my prayer for us as individuals. I found myself writing this prayer out in my own journal just recently. Put your spirit, your breath in us that we may truly thrive and settle us in a place where we can do the most good. You know, maybe today you're kind of feeling, um, what's the word, dry, spiritually depleted, and just some things going on and you feel like you've been pouring out and pouring out and nothing's coming in. That can be hard. Maybe you're feeling anxious, just kind of worried about the future. There's a lot of things to worry about, isn't there? Maybe you're feeling hurt. Someone said something or did something and it's just stinging with you. You don't know what to do about it. Or maybe, uh, maybe you're fearful about something very specific and it's paralyzed you and you're unable to, to make any kind of move. Or maybe you're stuck. You got this habit or you got this hang up that you just can't shake. Maybe, maybe you're feeling bitter. Circumstances and conditions have soured your soul. And the pain of that is just below the surface of your heart, and things will happen and it just erupts. Whatever it is, I think we need to go back to the same question that we started with the one that God gave to Ezekiel Can these bones live? me prophesy to you then he will put his spirit in you and you will live and he will settle you hang on to that yes it was meant for a group of people many thousands of years ago but we can take comfort in the fact that we have a God who is interested in that kind of relationship with us and we can appropriate those terms for ourselves today God will put his spirit in you You will live and he will settle you.